0: under the sky no new horizons maybe
1: there is no one else welcome back everyone to another episode of campbell's footballs with me dr grant campbell and i'm joined uh, for this latest episode of the show by a very special guest this guy is one of the biggest podcasters in global football Um, he's also on a range of other things from boxing to so many other sports he is the host of beyond the pitch podcast phil brown phil a warm welcome to the show Thank you so much for having me, mate. Absolute honour. It's great to chat with you. How's life over in the States?
0: Uh it's good. No complaints. Lovely weather. Uh, as usual here out in LA. Um, life is good. It's what? Uh eleven thirty-five in the morning here. So uh no complaints, mate, everything's good, family's healthy, so um hopefully just come out of the other end of this COVID here and we can have some normality back this summer. But um yeah, all good mate. No yeah.
1: Complaints. Absolutely. I mean, COVID has really affected so many of us uh, across the world. How have you coped throughout?
0: You know, it's just been difficult. We've all had to adjust and adapt. You know, I've got young kids, you know, particularly hard on them. Obviously, you know, they've lost their education and their, you know, not just their academics, their social way of life, which has been taken from them. And um, fortunately, like a lot of people, it's turned their kids into video game kids, you know, iPad kids and... Uh, it's very, very difficult. I think sometimes you forget just how much kids have lost in this. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's an, you know the economical challenge for everybody, and it's just a really grim time for everyone. You know, most people's lives have changed irreparably from for the last year, and very few of us are in a better place than where we were last year. Um, and it's sometimes hard to stay positive, but um, you know it's. Hopefully we're, we can see some light at the end of the tunnel, here.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think what's been really interesting is uh, everybody has been talking quite a lot over the last few months about promoting positive mental health and you know trying to keep a positive yes. spirit. So one of the great things I noticed on your social media, your Twitter, is that you posted a really interesting video about battling demons, which has had over, mm. well, just shy of a hundred thousand views so far, which is absolutely yeah. tremendous.
0: Yeah, it's just a a two-minute clip, mate. Um, It it was just a reminder to everybody out there. Like, if you're struggling, you're fighting demons, you're not alone. Lots of us are doing that. Um, And the reminder of just how perfect you are, lots of us are very self-deprecating in our analysis and very hard on ourselves. And, um, you know, we we pick flaws in ourselves and we amplify them. But I think it's just a reminder that... um, you know, lots of us are suffering, lots of us are struggling, you're not alone, mm-hmm. and that in actual, actual, actuality, you're perfect, uh, you're a, a masterpiece from the universe, and that you don't have a single heart of place, you know, uh, it's not you that's broken internally, it's external that's broken, and I think it's really important that we support each other, and uh, mental health is not a zero-sum game, and we all realize that... It impacts us all of us directly or indirectly and i think it's important that um we're there for each other and we normalize getting help
1: yeah no, absolutely and i think what's been really important from my own point of view throughout this pandemic is the love of music um i know and i know a range of other people listening to this podcast will know of my love of music and a, a range of uh, music choices what what's been the sort of things that have helped you throughout this pandemic phil you
0: know um like a lot of people, you know, my Netflix consumption is increasing. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, mate. Um, yeah, same here. So, podcasts and books, my interest, I'd say, the football <coughs> and boxing, excuse me, probably not conventional. Um, I read a lot of books on quantum physics. Um, I'm extremely interested in quantum physics and philosophy interesting I Find it extremely interesting um, and uh, and my favorite podcast is um, a podcast called Making Sense which used to be called Waking Up from Sam Harris who's a neuroscientist and um, famed atheist although not in a hardcore sense um, more agnostic but uh, he has exceptional guests on every week that ask deep existential questions that I find extremely interesting so um, usually that's what consumes my time.
1: Yeah excellent and, and obviously I'm a massive <laughs> fan of science as so many of my listeners know and you know I'm a massive fan of geography and, and the environment and that's something that also really interests me too so it, it's great we have already have a lot of common already Phil we're not even five minutes in. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Anyway, one of the first things I want to say, Phil, is thanks very much for coming on the show. The the post, the podcast host of Beyond the Pitch, um, and a range of other um, networks, uh, and of course a huge Manchester United fan as well. First question I want to ask you, Phil, is what made you want to go into the world of football in the beginning?
0: You know, I'd never actually realised I did go into the world of football <laughs> um, when I first started. It's made. Um, I just did it for a laugh. First of all, it was a creative outlet. It was more than 10 years ago. Um, I had discussed doing this with a friend. Um, he was very, very good. Uh, he, he was the Italian-American, big AC Milan fan, great guy. And uh, we just decided, you know what? As a creative outlet, let's, let's just play around with pod- a podcast. Podcasts were not new, but they were not saturated like they are now. Yeah. So um, you know, so I we just decided to have fun with it. We we did something that um, we worked really really hard in getting good guests, and somehow we were able to consistently do that to get big name people on week in week out, mm-hmm. and um, it just kept growing and growing, and then eventually it got signed by mainstream broadcasters out here. Um, uh, that isn't as great as everyone thinks it might be, you learn a lot from that experience, but it was still a massive compliment to us for them to, to invest in us, and um, you know, I ended up having my own national radio show out here for years, which was a great experience. Um, so it, it just sort of, step by step, uh, escalated into something that got bigger and bigger, and yep. as we got bigger, we tried to make sure we adhered journalistic standards, we had to try to make sure we had some editorial standards and quality in our, in our work, even if, strictly speaking, we weren't journalists, but um, I got way too much respect for journalists for me to try to pretend I'm one of them, but I do try to perform to journalistic standards yeah. and work along those lines. and. Um, it's just, it's it's been an amazing success, man. I never imagined it would have grown into what it did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, right back at the beginning of your journey, you obviously uh, started out in life in uh, Northern Ireland, in Belfast. And I want to just ask you, I mean, what is life like in Belfast? Or what what was it like for you growing up?
0: Well, Nick, growing up, well, um, you know, I was born in Belfast in the 70s. Um, growing up in our 70s, 80s. Most formative years of my childhood were you were influenced by all that and <clears throat> it wasn't normal by any standards you know um it was insanity essentially what we normalized as kids most kids would get serious treatment for hmm. and i think you see some of the residual damage that is done by the suicide rate in belfast especially people in my age group um you know, that has a very heavy influence on you as a child, especially when you travel somewhere like America where you have a completely contrasting experience where you see this is not normal, this is not normal, this is not normal. And when you have contrasting experiences, then sometimes shame comes after that yep. because of how you lived, how you grew up, and um, that affects your self-confidence, it affects your self-worth, it affects a lot of things. and. Um, So, yeah, it was not a conventional upbringing by any means. It wasn't all negative. There were some amazing times, and I have some wonderful memories of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Despite everything that was going on around us, we were able to to have some glorious times. Um, But, you know, we accepted that everything had to be arranged around violence, bombs, bullets, sectarianism, you were never safe, Mm -hmm. you know, always a potential for something to go wrong, and... Had to be very careful about what you wore, where you went, and everything else. And um, you know, Belfast is a small place anyway, so to be confined to your own area, essentially, you know, it's it is it's not a it's not a typical upbringing. And um, today, life is in Belfast is just like any other city, really. It's mm-hmm. it's it's good. It's a, you know, a lot of the negatives have gone. Still, a lot of a lot of work to do. Still, a lot of ground to make up between. Both communities, really. Yeah,
1: I mean, I follow a lot of Northern Irish football and have done for the last six years. And what I get following the league is that there's a lot of um, chemistry uh, within certain teams, but there's also a connection with a lot of clubs as well. There's a lot of respect there, which maybe wasn't there a long time ago.
0: Well, I mean, look, people are trying to move on. Excuse me. From those of us who lived through that era, no one really wants to return to it. You know, there's, there's, uh, anyone who glorifies that either didn't live it, or, or unseen. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing about the generation that's coming up today that didn't live it, that would ever want to endure any of it. Um, because, my, my, many of my childhoods littered with the screams of mothers burying their children, no one, that's the worst pain you can imagine. Yeah. So, I think what we've seen from football and other sports, rugby, boxing and all that there is an attempt to erase the imaginary divide between both communities. The place is too small anyway The divide along those lines and you get clubs and fan bases that are you still has sectarian elements, but nothing like it was before, and great work is being done by these clubs to, to do that. Linfield have done unbelievable work yeah. for the camogie teams and everything, which deserve deserves huge respect for. So it is encouraging to see.
2: Yeah,
1: I know, absolutely. I think it's been really interesting to see how that dynamic has shifted into a mm-hmm. positive sense over the last few years. I always ask my guests, Phil, who their inspirations were and still are growing mm-hmm. up. Who are yours?
0: You know, for me, I think, the, in terms of a sporting sense, my very first one was Mark Hughes. I absolutely idolised Mark Hughes. But the one consistent individual throughout that time has been my father. And I'm still, I am still still idolise my dad today. Um, he is an inspiration to me. I, I, I wish I could be the man that he is. Um, you know, he's just incredible. Outside of that, in my life currently, you know, if I had to pick one particular athlete who... You know, transcends their sport. Who's incredibly, who who who's a giant in my personal life. What I would say, Kyle Frampton. You know, Kyle Frampton yeah. is a very, 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 very close friend to me. Like we've been talking quite a bit about this morning. Um, and you know he's someone that i love deep into my soul yeah and uh he's very very good to me so i'm very fortunate mate in the sense that i have professional athletes and what have you in my life high profile individuals that i can reach out to for help discuss whatever i need and uh they provide tremendous resources to me to make sure i'm okay
1: i'll come back to carl frampton and uh, mark hughes in a second but you mentioned mm-hmm. your dad there phil what ingredients or asp- or kind of aspects did he have that that made you feel like you could connect with him in a number of different ways
0: well first of all my dad was unique individual in the sense that he married a Protestant right he's Catholic that in the in his time was completely unheard of and I'm glad he did because it removed any sectarian element in my home um, and, and we never Define someone and their worth based on a birth and accident, such as whether you were Catholic or Protestant. Because most people weren't even practicing, you know, re- re- religious uh, individuals. You know, most of us wasn't a theocratic society by any means. Nobody was really devout Protestant or Catholic. It was just a weird dividing line. But my dad, you know, also worked in the media for thirty years, and they took great risk to do so, um, given his. You know, his religion, given where he was from, the threats that we he endured to make sure he provided for all of us kids. He just faced tremendous adversity strength and dignity and, uh, and the values that he taught me and the things that he taught me I'm forever grateful for and I just admire him so much for everything he's done for me.
1: Fantastic to hear that story just so vividly Mm -hmm. said there really really interested to hear that you mentioned Mark Hughes and as a Manchester United fan myself I I just call the tail end of Mark Hughes playing career obviously went on to to be a manager what was it that made Mark Hughes the player that he was in a Man United shirt?
0: You know for me as a kid there was an old saying about Mark Hughes and I think it, it really rings three. You know, Mark Hughes is a scorer of great goals, not a scorer of a lot of goals. And um, made, made him... Paraphrase that wrong, but you get what I'm saying? Yes. He was spectacular for me, um, scored tremendous volleys. You know, even one of my greatest Mark Hughes moments happened in a 5 1 defeat against Man City. You know, he scored that over he scored that bicycle kick. I still remember that as clear as day. It was 1989. Incredible. Um, but, um, you know, for me, Mark Hughes was. An idol of mine, just I, I, his technique, his strength, his goals. He scored a lot of goals against Liverpool, which I adored him for. Mm. And when he did score for United, it was always spectacular. So uh, he, his birthday was November 1st, my was November 2nd. I remember going to school, was shooting match magazines and just looking for anything. But I could find him, Mark Hughes. cues. You know, so um, I just absolutely idolized them, and then as I grew a little bit older than Eric Cantona and then after Canton I really stopped having individual idols like
1: that you know. Yeah, yeah. well I, I remember shooting match magazines so well my mum used to buy them <laughs> yeah. all the time for me when I was uh, a, a school pupil and uh, I still have a few old copies somewhere so fantastic memories just <laughs> yeah. you mentioning that I thought that was really good. Carl Frampton's a really interesting idol that you mentioned there Phil what is it about him that made you connect with him?
0: Well, first of all, I mean, boxing, in many ways, is metaphorical of life, right, in the sense that in the squared circles, you know, it's about you, all your insecurities, all your, your preparation, everything, right, Normal, all the talking stops, and just like in life, in fights, you get knocked down, and you have a choice of whether you can get up or stay there, the world will forgive you if you stay there, Yeah. or you get up and fight, and so for me, Carl coming from my city first of all and coming from North Belfast was something that connected me to him right away Mm -hmm. but then I you know, obviously he scaled the heights as a great fighter but I loved that his success and fame never changed him and to him the fame was almost the excrement of success where he really wasn't something that he particularly wanted and he was very, very careful to not change and I've often said this that even if he never was a great fighter <coughs> never was a public figure I'd love him for who he is as a person so you know Carl reached out to me years ago when I was fighting my own demons and said you know I'd be here for you lots of people say that but not lots of people do that he legitimately never shirked a promise every yeah. promise he made me cap Be easier for me every damn fight just tags me right now uh, he is someone that he's been so consistent in my life not just for me, for my kids there's nothing he wouldn't do for me uh, none I wouldn't do for him and he's just an incredible individual I talk to him about personal things about my own life when I need advice he does the same with me and it's just incredible that friend out got me he's just such a lovely
1: human being it's great when you have a, a sportsman of that caliber that you can reach mm-hmm. out and talk to on a regular basis and carl if you're listening a, a massive uh, shout out to you from myself when you mentioned about connections there phil when you mentioned about guys that have had struggles and they've dropped themselves back up and made themselves stronger an inspiration in my own life and i mentioned this on a, a recent podcast that i've been on is andy murray uh, in tennis yep. circles and andy murray oh, was so- always <laughs> one of these uh, Tennis players who was in probably one of the hardest areas of tennis when you're up against Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, but he still won three Grand Slams, won a Davis Cup, won two Olympic gold medals and been world number one, so just fantastic.
0: Oh, it's incredible, mate. I mean, what Andy Murray has done, you know, and, and, and become a global star, mm-hmm. um, such a wonderful ambassador for Scotland, such a wonderful ambassador, you know, for everything that's Scottish across the world. And everybody loves the Scottish, mate. I mean, you're not human if you don't love the Scottish, right? Yeah. And, and um, Andy's. Fantastic guy, fantastic. Uh, you know, the, uh, athlete to, to 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 be successful in that sport is extremely difficult. Just like boxing, it's an individual sport where yeah. you are. Yes, you have teams that prepare you, but they can't play for you. And uh, Andy Maurice uh, uh, someone that I'm a. You know, <clears throat> when Ireland aren't playing in something, uh, and Scotland dies, one hundred percent I end Scotland. Good, I, good to does, hear that. <laughs> i love it whatever it is doesn't matter right for a scottish fighter, i'm 100 percent behind whatever it is right because to me Scots there are celtic cousins i love Scots. Scottish people um and so uh i'm a big supporter of you know my american wife one of the things that i, that I did i took her to scotland because like you're gonna love it it's beautiful she absolutely loved it and so it's great to see. I love seeing Scottish athletes do well.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned boxing as well. Ricky Burns is one of my favourite Scottish fighters. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Us. Absolutely. Oh, I First love pass. it.
0: I love it. Um, uh, Scott, Ricky Burns, now again, what an ambassador. Three-division world champion, which is extremely difficult to do. And he yes. doesn't get enough credit for that. He really doesn't. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Um, uh, I'm a brilliant guy.
1: Absolutely, no first first class. Uh, Phil, let's bring it back to yourself because one of the interesting things I did and I did some research before we we came onto this chat. You had a little bit of a playing career at the beginning, didn't you? You played for Malachians. Is that, of course, your your Twitter handle?
0: Uh, I played for Malachians, yes, and then I also played for Croke Rangers in the Irish League before that. So. Um yeah, I, I uh, was at Glen Thorne for a little while. Um, so yeah, I, I love football, love playing football, just like most kids in, you know, anywhere, Ireland, the UK, you know, grew up with a ball at our feet. So, massive football fan, wasn't quite good enough to make it, a bit too slow, Yeah. but, um, but uh, I'm fortunate enough to play at a decent level, mm-hmm. and I uh, love the game, you know, Kenny Shields was my manager. Uh, at Carrick, when I was there. His brother was there too, 2, Sammy. Um, great time down at Carrick, and um, yeah it was, it was it was good man. I really enjoyed
1: it. I'm glad you mentioned Kenny Shields there because I just wanted to ask you mm. what he's like because obviously he's now the manager of the Northern Ireland women's team and obviously had time in Scotland as well.
0: A really mm. really great guy. Lovely human being, just a class guy. Um, you know I was a young kid when I was down there, I was 17, 16, 17, 18. I was down there for a few years and Every time he met me, every time, he always took time to speak to people. Never forgot their name. Um, I loved that. I loved the fact that by my second training session at Carrick, he knew who I was. And uh, and every time he saw me after that, he never once forgot my name. Yeah. And that's That has that has a big influence on a young kid. Yeah. You know. And. Uh, that to me meant a lot, um, Burnham, Burnham, I mean, one of the most successful periods in Carrick's history when he was there yeah, kind of an unbelievable job, um, and there was, um, John Robertson had just come over as well from Leeds He'd just retired last year of his career Which was great So it was, uh, it was, it was a good time And Kenny kind of was a brilliant manager
1: Yeah, I mean I've spoken to a few connections within Carrot Rangers uh, On my own podcast now. Curry, their current manager And a range of other people associated with the club And they're, they're obviously one of the provincial teams in the league But they never know when they're being sometimes
0: you know, back then it was just one Irish league, so uh, for us it wasn't there like it was then. And yes, of course we were not one of the bigger teams in the league, uh, but we always had a good youth setup. Um, you no, know, a good young players coming through. Herbs was, it was just really, really good level because uh, they they picked off a lot of players from all um, over Belfast. Carrick's not that far um, from from Belfast, so uh, it wasn't that hard to get to. Um, so they always punch above their weight. It's small football club, but um, you know it was. It's a great place for a young player to go because mm-hmm. uh, you know, they'll, they'll put in the first team. Uh, and um, so you know we, we know. Thing is, when you're a young player, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, most of the players that were getting picked up by Irish League teams were the better players in their particular teams. Yeah. So they, they didn't start out with inferiority complex, lad, and come down there with a chip on their shoulder that they were top players, and so. Um, you know one of our best nights, I remember beating Cliftonville Um most of my family and friends are in Cliftonville, that beat Cliftonville 1-0 up at Solitude and I scored the winner Brilliant! That was something that uh, well, was, it was a great night, I really enjoyed that. Yeah absolutely
1: obviously I just wanted to just touch on the the Malachian side because I had Gerard Little on the show who was involved yeah, with Celtic yeah. and, and obviously was involved with the club, did you have any dealings with Gerard at all?
0: Uh, not, so uh, we Jared's nickname Belfast Skin, alright. Yep. Yep. Uh, skin was a wee bit younger than me. Um, so skin was two years younger than me. Um, so we never actually cross paths, but we know each other. We follow each other. Um, obviously, we all have the same friends. Um, and uh, he has also just got a job. Um, I think Northern under eighteen. That's right. Um, so. Um, and of course, brilliant guy. You know, he grew up right next to me, uh, so I know I know skin um, quite well. We're not best friends or anything, but yep. um, I know quite well, and I, and I know a lot of people that know him well and speak very heavily of him. Absolutely, so I congratulated him on uh, with private message when he got the job. So. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, uh, he, he was a wee bit younger than me, mate, but um, he is exceptionally well
1: thought of. No, he's a really great character, and I, have, I had so much yeah. great discussions with him when he was on my show, and I still keep in touch really? with him on a regular basis, so that's absolutely fantastic. Phil, your journey is really interesting to me, because obviously you, you had a little bit of a playing career. When was a key moment in your journey that you wanted to go into broadcasting in the media?
0: Well, like I said, it, it didn't. It wasn't really a key moment. It was just uh, a natural evolution. It was just something that uh, was organic. and It just sort of happened. It wasn't where I sat there and had this burning desire to do this. Uh, it just was something that podcasting was starting to get a little bit popular. And you know, we were, I'm talking to my mates on the phone, maybe for an hour on a football conversation. I go, "Why don't we just start recording these?" Yeah. And, you know, you're it's full really of hubris because you always think about it better than what you are, and you think, oh, there's people I'd love the this you know, but that's not how it is. And so, uh it was just, just a creative outlet. And look, they say it's the only grant the starting podcasts, if you start them with the intention of making money or fame or anything, don't do it. Exactly. You're gonna be so disappointed. You have to do it for the love of what you're doing, and then that that way it doesn't change your relationship with the sport. You don't expect something back. You don't make does does make you better. You don't obsessed over followers not obsessed over downloads you just have fun with it
1: absolutely well one of my first memories of uh,
0: podcasting
1: in some essences was when facebook live really came on the go and then i remember just talking a heap of waffle for an hour about the current football topics of the week's events and then giving my predictions as and as you've seen from my social media and if people are listening to this can follow me at statu underscore grand. i am terrible at predictions and
0: uh, i love a bit of talking about football uh, that, that, that it's all, that's all that matters. I mean, first of all, we're all terrible predictions. <laughs> right? And so, um, otherwise, we wouldn't watch football. Uh, we wouldn't watch sport if there was no unpredictability factor. If everything was predictable, we wouldn't watch it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, th- all of us are, you know, just trying to do the best we can. And, and, you know, there are no right or wrong ways to talk about football. And there's lots of different people out there that enjoy different types of broadcasting personalities so I don't tell anyone else how to do their thing. They, they, absolutely. they do, they I do me and um, I wish people nothing but the best.
1: Yeah, no absolutely. Fair, nice words there from yourself there Phil. I thought it was really interesting to hear that. When was the key moment for you to move from Belfast to America? What year were we around about that time?
0: So I first came out here in eighty seven on holiday. Uh, my uncle was an engineer for Boeing and spent some time out here really liked it, went back, came back again in the early 2000s, It was 2002 or three or something, um, never really intended to stay for as long as I have, uh, just was like yeah I'll we'll just go out and stay for a couple of years and then come back and then naturally life happens, you meet a woman, you're married, you get kids and all of a sudden you're here 20 years later so it's, um, it, it, it was always a desire of mine to come out here because we'd always had a close connection to here, we used to come out here all the time as kids um, and that was something that I'd always wanted to do, so it just sort of happened, mate. Um, wasn't one particular moment or anything, but it, it was uh, it, it was it was a long process because getting getting your green card is not an easy process, yeah. And uh, it took a long time, but I got there in the end. And you know, it's hard to believe I've been here as long as I have, but. Um, I never intended it to be as
1: long. <laughs> well, you're certainly ripping it up over in the States. I've got a couple of friends who are now living in America. One is a coach at a club over in the States and is doing a fantastic job there. A guy called it's Andy McRobbie. Andy and if he's listening, a big shout out to him, big, big Tottenham fan. But we won't say much about that. Yeah. But one of the great things about the States is they're, well, certainly from my side looking in, there seems to be a lot of opportunities if you can find them in the right places.
0: A definitely opportunity. out here, yes. Um, if you're willing to put on the work, the time, the effort, doors will definitely open for you. Um, you know, that's one thing about this country is there's always opportunity. Um, so you yeah, it depends what what you want, what you want to do in your life. You know, uh, for me. I would find it very, very hard to be a football coach. Some people can do it. I, I don't have the pace for it. But um, <laughs> you know, but but you know, I look at lads here from back home. You know, they're uh, coaching in eighty-five degree, ninety-degree weather every day. You know, it's it's paradise. You know, how could you not love that? And they're being paid for it. So. Uh, it's definitely there's definitely worse things in the world, man.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. the the American world of sport in general uh, really is you know in terms of media and broadcasting is second to none, isn't it? I mean, it just seems to just expand year on year. It's, how do you keep up to speed with how everything is developing and evolving over there?
0: Well, you know, look, I, I don't have time for you know, I've got four kids, mate, So you <laughs> know, I watch a bit of football on the weekends, and that's about all I have time for. I watch my boxing. Um, and uh, you know, so so the, the Americans do invest quite a bit in sports technology, and uh, the difference between where football was when I first came out here and how it's broadcast to where it is today. I mean, if you watched the Americans broadcast in the Premier League, you really would see no difference between that and Sky Sports. Yeah, it's just it's, it's the same thing, you know. Only Hagen Bob does ours over here. Um, you know, Danny's a very close friend to me I've known Danny a long time, he's a great human being um, and Robbie Earle who was my neighbour for years another very very close friend of mine so we got coverage, is very good over here mate
1: I just love the way you plucked Danny Higginbaum and Robbie Errol out there two terrific nah. players, especially Robbie Errol. I mean you know, I remember him obviously in Jamaica from the 98 World Cup A tremendous mm. midfielder but
0: so good for Wimbledon as well back in the day mate, amazing but to know him as a human being is a privilege, um, I had known him and his wife Sandra for a long, long time. Um, in fact, we were just celebrating in the summer of 10 years and uh, a and, uh, very, very good friend. Uh, we spend a lot of time together personally, yeah. uh, we go, obviously it's been difficult recently with Covid but, um, you know, I, I was just talking to his son yesterday actually, Otis. Um, he lives in New York. Um, so I know him, I know Robbie very, very well. A wonderful human being. Someone's very, very, very good to me, and someone I'm very fortunate to know. I love, love guy death. Yeah, and love to get it there.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Danny Higginbone there, and that brings me on to my oh. next topic, which talks about your love of Manchester United Football Club. What does Manchester United mean
0: to you, Phil? truly impossible to define it. Um, Sometimes you get the answer to that question when you're at low points in your life. Sometimes you get the answer to that question, like last season when the season was suspended for COVID and how difficult it was to not have that. Mm -hmm. And you realize just how important it is for your mental balance, your mental health, for, you know, to to feed a craving inside of you. you know, going back to my childhood and a very difficult childhood, Manchester United helped me transcend that. It gave me a dream of wanting to play for United. Mm-hmm. You know, it had a huge Irish connection with players there. Um, so, going back to when I was a child, Manchester United have meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. I now sit today in a very privileged position, where the club are very, very good to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, Solskjaer sent my son a happy birthday message on Friday, um, <clears throat> and. They're constantly doing things like that for me. They're constantly doing little things off, you know, contacting me. I didn't ask them to send me that video. You know, they just sent it. Um, giving me interviews with first team players. They don't have to do that. It would cost United nothing if they didn't cooperate with me. The information that people inside the football club give to me on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm just so fortunate because I realise that lots of people would love to be in that position. And so I'm very, very fortunate to enjoy that type of access, that type of relationship. And even at times it's adversarial because they know I'm very critical Mm -hmm. of the They know who I am. But they don't ever put a quid pro quo on me and say you gotta say this or there's no access. They're just very, very good to me.
1: Yeah, I, I sense that, and it's really interesting and really refreshing to hear that. And it's fantastic as a, as a fan following in about Manchester United. You know, it, it's it's interesting to see how the club has evolved. I mean, I was brought up mm-hmm. in the Sir Alex era, and obviously that transition from moving from Sir Alex obviously into to David Moyes and Louis Van Gaal and Josie Jose Mourinho, and now Solskjaer. It's it's really been an interesting interesting phase of development shall we say
0: yeah I mean you know obviously th- times change so United have to change with them so um, some I think core identity uh, aspects of United remain and shall remain and the, the way they play and um, the fact that they like to play kids from their academy I think that's important um, but other parts of the club has to evolve with the times and so um no, I think United have found difficult, obviously since the transition of Ferguson, which is understandable. Uh, it also goes to show just how difficult it is to be a successful, consistently successful winning team.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, so I think now more than ever, I would say, Grant, that they look more like a Man United should look than at any other time, but they're still not there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just in a nutshell, how far away do you think they are from getting back to the days of Alex?
0: Well, the days of Alex probably never see again. I, mean, I, I, I have my doubts that we'll ever see anyone that dominant and consistent again. Even City find it difficult. Mm-hmm. And you often see a team that will win in the league the following season that can't maintain it. Uh, we've seen that with City and Liverpool. Um, it's very, very difficult to do the demands. I think... City have such a massive advantage over the rest. You know, when you're sitting with a bench, most weeks worth six hundred million. Yeah. You know that that I, I don't care. People say money doesn't buy success. It doesn't, but it certainly helps a lot. Absolutely, and I agree so, with that. So, uh, so I think that's a concern for English football as a whole, not just Man United. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think United you know, are that last. They're at the. They've got one more stage of development to go. This is the hardest stage in the development. Uh, and they're, they're probably a few players away But they have to address it this summer Because if they don't Then new problems will develop And you go from four players away to six players And yes. once you get back into that Area of needing five, six players Then you're talking about multiple windows You're talking about, And it just gets difficult And you never actually get there yeah. So I have my doubts you know, That it will, will strengthen significantly this summer mm-hmm. um, I Don't like to concede this But I feel that on the inside there's a reluctant acceptance that it's okay to finish
1: second. Now it's interesting to hear your views there and quite a lot of that I, I agreed with. In terms of following United from a young age, what's your first major memories of following United?
0: First significant memory I would say where I can really reflect on and remember every major detail was the 85 Cup final. When um, Norman Whiteside scored the winner, it was the first time I cried with joy in my life. Um, and. I was growing up in a household with two Liverpool-supporting, fanatical brothers, and at the time of course Liverpool were completely dominant. And just to see that win something and it be about us for a change, and to see a guy from Belfast score the winner, it just was truly amazing. I still remember how I felt that moment. I can still remember the commentary. You know, it's just indelibly marked in my brain forever. So I would say the first. I mean I remember games before that but that was the game that really moved me the most where I was conscious of it in my childhood so I would say 85 cup final.
1: I mean Whiteside was such a super player wasn't he, he just knew where the net was but his overall work rate was just absolutely sensational.
0: Class player mate, uh, again someone that uh, despite where he grew up never brought that sectarianism with him and uh, a tremendous ambassador for our city and someone I hope one day to get
2: on my podcast yeah I'll
1: be absolutely superb I hope you do get your opportunity because he's an absolutely fantastic player in terms of when Sir Alex came into Manchester United because obviously it was at Aberdeen for a good period of time so I can bring that in because I'm an Aberdeen fan myself but one of the really great things about Sir Alex is that he came into Manchester United there was tough moments but yeah, cool. everybody forgets that, or most people forget that, tough moments. And we all remember the, the famous Steve Bruce header, don't we, all those years ago? And, you know, you mentioned Mark Hughes and some of the go- major goals he stored. It's it's incredible to see how his longevity really shone at United.
0: Really is, mate. And he's done such a fantastic job. Uh, you know, his legacy United will go on forever. Uh, he, you know, I, I think when you look at the two most successful managers in his history, uh, Sir so Matt Bosby and Alex Ferguson One of the things that they both make a mockery of Is that you need to be someone that gets the club Because Sir so Matt Bosby played for Liverpool and City Now I, I doubt he got Manchester United In the way that people talk about it Sir so Alex Ferguson never had food in Old Trafford When he was hired So he wasn't someone that was part of the United family You know, they're just great coaches that left these long-term uh, um, marks on Manchester United and, and shaped their history. And Ferguson came into a failing football club that had negative muscle memory that we're losing, and uh, m- many, m- many in the same way that Solskjaer inherited now did uh and just done a truly monumental job to overhaul United and change culture inside the football club and turn them into a ruthless winning machine yeah absolutely and, and some of the
1: players that have come through manchester united the class of 92 in particular some incredible talents that you have seen personally and, and i have as well i mean any anybody stand out for you you mentioned cantona earlier on i mean what a player he was
0: i think cantona was a magnificent player um mean, not the you know the best wherever but, but i think in terms of his impact on United one of the most influential players in 100 years because he completely changed the football club. He changed how United trained. He changed the mentality on the inside from being program-minded to changing training, double-session training, to you know showing them and schools and what have you about staying behind after training to practice, do things that they weren't doing. Um, and, of course, brought about that arrogance and swagger that and confidence that United needed that mm-hmm. we're going to win the league and I will help you in the league, and we're going to win it. Like, I mean, that year, you know, it's Hughes, and, and Ince, uh, and people were worried, well, Kanten, going to want to leave, because, you know, they're selling their best players, and they asked him about it, and he says, "Ah, I'll win the league on my own. I yeah. love that."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. He's such a great player, and that great period around uh, the sort of mid-90s, you had obviously people like David Beckham coming on the go, you had Ryan Giggs, who's one of my inspirations, Roy Keane, mm-hmm. Peter Schmeichel, for me, in goal, really epitomised Manchester United throughout that dominance during the 90s. He was an unbelievable goalkeeper.
0: Unbelievable goalkeeper. I think he'd send him for less than half a million from Bromby. Uh, Must be one of the best sendings ever. Again, I've had on my podcast, interesting human being. Is he still... Um,
1: Sorry, Phil. Is he still uh, the benchmark for goalkeepers in the Premier
0: League? I would say he's certainly one of the top three that's ever played there. Um i would still put him as the number one goalkeeper i've headed, um above anyone else i think he was you go back to that title run we never caught newcastle we were 12 points behind at christmas caught them i think it was the 86 97 season um uh, 96 season i goes in five 96 that you know I lots of players get quite a not being one on but without Schmeichel that don't happen Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's just a magnificent goalkeeper. You get him for next to nothing. And as fundamental to United's success as anyone you want to name.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and one of the great things about following Manchester United over the last few years, from my point of view, is the development of strikers uh, and relationships with strikers as well. I mean, Cole and York, for me, growing up, yeah. I still maintain this as one of United's best ever strike forces.
0: Yeah, look. I mean, at a time whenever United you know, badly needed strikers, uh, they had a tremendous front parent, um, almost telepathic understanding, and probably one of the last best great centre forward parents that we saw. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've been lucky enough to interview both of them many many times, uh, and you know, they were, I, I, I they were so important to United's success. And I have to say, I was excited when he had signed Andy Cole, not thrilled when he had signed Dwight York, Um, but um, he made me eat my words, and for maybe two seasons they were almost unplayable.
1: Yeah, they certainly were, and one of the great things about the United run, especially in the 90s, was the treble winning season in 99. I mean, what memories does that hold for you, Phil, because it has a lot for me.
0: Extremely, extremely powerful man. You know, you go back through that season. There's been so many moments that stand out. You know, United in the FA Cup against Liverpool stand out. You know, then of course against Arsenal in the semi-final, the replay where United should have lost uh, somehow didn't. The game we talk about Schmegel and his contribution, saving that penalty. Uh, there was just so many things, so many aspects to that where you, you know, they they should have lost. They shouldn't have won the and then, of course, to win the European Cup in the manner that they did. I don't think, if you're a football fan, you could have a better season than that. I, I don't think it's possible for you to write a script and say, this is the perfect season. This is how it's going to look. I don't think you can write it any better, any more dramatically than that. And, you know, it, it was just our team that had spirit that refused to lose and yep. were never beaten. And... Um, it was, it, 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 I'll never forget how I felt, in the European Cup final, where I was completely dejected and felt, we'll never win this, I remember saying to myself, well, we're never going to win this, I will never get this close, we're never going to win it, and the space in 90 seconds from that, to being temporarily elevated from this third dimension, in a way that, um, Almost nothing to make you feel it was just truly incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always remember the final, but I'll remember the semi-final probably just as vividly because I'll always remember that Roy Keane goal to bring United back into the game in the Delhi Alpi at two one. You know, yeah. that felt a hugely significant moment. I mean, obviously, the final does as well. But for me, in that journey, that Keane header uh, to make it two one, and then obviously uh, the I think it was York that got the equaliser to make it two each, wasn't it? It was just an extraordinary turnaround.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, again, you know, it's been talked about ad nauseum, but that example of Roy really Keane kind of selflessness and leadership, you know, I think was again fundamental. Here we are talking about another semi final, bad knife age. They can get the true by all accounts, should have lost. They're 2 0 down in the first 10 minutes in the second leg against an exceptional Juventus team. And they come back within 30 minutes, they're two each, which was unthinkable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I still remember that semi final well and you know to be 2-0 down and my thoughts at that moment so uh yeah it was just an amazing time Ed. and uh again very very privileged you know to be a part of that to to watch your football club become that you know like i said I was sporting there in the 80s when this was by no means the guarantee yeah. you know success was not a guarantee you know people can talk about that today but back then it wasn't
1: yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the great things about Sir Alex Ferguson, and maybe you share this with me, is the great thing for me is about Ferguson is he always found ways to develop and improve his teams and he always changed it. He always, like, if there was players to retire or move on, he would find the, the solutions to build the teams up. He identified which areas needed replacing season upon season and kept regenerating that Manchester United team to be an absolute powerhouse in English football.
0: I think he was very very good at reading human beings and uh, all great leaders in any industry that's a, a, a trait that they have um, because in many ways managers are more a manager, uh, more of, a manager of people than tactics you know your, your, your coaches are really responsible for the tactical development responsible for a lot of the tactics and everything else great managers like Ferguson are great motivators um, they understand people. They understand strengths and weaknesses. They understand what you can ask of somebody and what you can't, uh, and how to customize that to each individual. And I, I and they have a uh, ruthless streak to them. That you know, people say, "Oh, clubs a bad loser." Well, all great winners are bad losers. Yeah. You know, I don't have a problem in being a bad loser. I think you know Ferguson hated losing too. All great coaches do. Um, you know, they're almost offended by defeat. And so I think Ferguson was a magnificent motivator of people.
1: And the great thing about Ferguson as well is he experienced different clubs, you know, challenging Manchester United at the top of the table three his time, didn't he? Uh, Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, obviously the Chelsea uh, period under Mourinho, and then obviously uh, Liverpool for a period of time, and, and then obviously very recently Manchester City. Sorry, may I miss the first part of that? I'm saying one of the things I really enjoyed about Ferguson was his find different mm-hmm. ways to win against other teams that were really up to try and challenge, to take the fight to Manchester United Arsenal under Arsene Wenger uh, Chelsea obviously the, under the Abramovich era, and obviously still are you obviously have Liverpool for a period of time and then you mentioned Newcastle earlier on and then Latterley City Yeah, well and this goes back to what we were saying earlier about how difficult it is to
0: be consistent because it's very, very difficult to do that and maintain consistent standards. You know, Alex Ferguson was a freaking of nature. Everyone wanted a Ferguson, but very few, you know, you don't find him. So the rest of English football had to live in the real world, while United got to live in this fantasy world. And you've seen how difficult it is to replace him since he's gone. So they just got very lucky in the sense that they employed someone there, even United, to have interviewed Martin Edwards. They had no idea that he was going to bring that level of success. It was unthinkable at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um but they deserve credit for singling him out, they deserve credit for staying sticking by him, whether he gets sacked the first or not doesn't matter, he didn't. And um you know, so I think the fact that he saw off so many rivals, that he brought so many different you know, even a, a prime Mourinho in two thousand and four, you know, when he came to Chelsea with all that money, you know, he eventually saw Mourinho off. I just think that uh it, you know, I think he would have retired a year earlier had he have lost the league, to city not lost the league, the city. I think he would have went then. Yes, because if you looked at the United team, it was being managed on a shoestring really, yeah. and I think that was primarily the reason why. So, um, it still it will always surprise me why they signed Zaha, but. Um, but anyway, I think uh, I think he, he just a truly unbelievable job.
1: Yeah, and obviously Van Persie came the following season and really was the difference in winning that yeah. title for United, wasn't he? Going out on a high and then obviously David Moyes coming in. Do you feel a little bit of sympathy for Moyes taking over from Sarge? Was he a very very tough job to, to fill his shoes?
0: But yeah, but I I don't think he helped himself. I think he made a mistake of thinking six years meant six years on his Mm. contract. It didn't, you know. I mean, to be fair to him, it's very hard to come in and follow Ferguson and and take over, you know, his his mantle and, and, and do that job. I think it's very hard to do. So, not an envious task. He... It didn't. Wasn't helped by the fact that United just made a complete mess of signings that summer. I think Moyes was indecisive as well. Mm. Uh, I think United overestimated how good that squad was, yep. and so I think it was an amalgamation of different factors that that, that, that hurt David Moyes. Um, but I think he didn't help himself by not sounding like a man. his United manager grant, you know, mm. he, he, he can't be talking, and and this is not critical. So let's go over to a point that a United manager can't keep talking about the future at some point the present has to be the future you were talking about and so I think for Moise he made the mistake of thinking I'm gonna be here six years, I've got six years of do this job, you don't, and so I just think a like West Ham, I don't think he's should to a club like United
1: yeah, no. Very interesting to, to hear that. I, I, I wanted to just hear your points. To that obviously different managers have come and gone since David Moyes. I mentioned Van Gaal, Mourinho. Obviously now Solskjaer in the hot seat, and we we talked about United where they are at the moment. I mean, just to just to reiterate again. I mean, do you think Solskjaer is the man long term for Manchester United? I
0: don't know. I mean, I would say that he's done a very, very good job. He would leave behind a much better man United than the one he inherited. So I think by that metric, you have to say he's done a good job. Uh, but just like I was just saying, you can't keep talking with the future at some point. Solskjaer has to win trophies. He has to have United competitive. You can't be talking about four or five windows and then letting windows goodbye without signing players or, or scraping players. Or You have to actually make them work. So I think... He's probably taken this United as far as he could probably take them. So unless... Then I don't think it's fair to ask Solskjaer or anyone for that matter to take this United team and win the league. Um, I I don't think the United are good enough to do that. So um, whether we have expectations... On what you need to do this summer, if they don't support Solskjaer in the market this summer, by invest, and then I think we all have to adjust our expectations and realize that, you know, I don't know any manager on world football. that like, yeah, I don't think Guardiola could keep this team to a league title.
1: Yeah, very interesting to hear your points of view on that. Uh, last question on United, and this has got uh, my great friend Keen Frani's uh, views on this. Yeah. How good is Bruno uh, Fernandez?
0: You you really could spend the rest. You you know, when you talk about great players, words are inadequate to describe how good they are, because you never quite explain it. Uh, What Bruno Fernandez has done is borderline impossible uh, to be that consistent, that good, be that influential. Um, These are days like a pearl in an oyster. You know, you find one in every thousand, or whatever. You know, and when you get one, you realise just how lucky you are. Uh, he is, for my money, should have been in the sh- in the running for a Ballon d'Or winner last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, there certainly should be certainly for me, for my money, the favourite at this point for next season. Um, I know Mbappe scored a hat trick at the new Camp, but those who pe- most of us don't watch French football, so we're all <laughs> down and on that for months, right? But uh, but but Bruno Fernandes, to me. I wouldn't swap him for any player in world football, and that's, an, that's the best I can say about how good he is.
1: He's certainly improved that Manchester United team. He's got that dynamism at the top end of the pitch, and he's really helped the front line, especially of Rashford, Greenwood, and, and Martial, in my opinion. And I think he'll be long term an important ingredient if United are going to be challenging for trophies.
0: Um, I it mean, you know, when I found out, when well, Arsenal found out with Van Persie and Montavia if they don't strengthen the squad significantly, to give him the confidence and belief that he can be successful at Old Trafford, you will know, we'll lose him.
1: Yeah, no, very interesting to hear that.
0: Let's talk about your own
1: podcast called Beyond the Pitch. How did the project Beyond the Pitch come about?
0: Well, like I was saying, we started this just over 10 years ago. It was just a bit of a, uh, we didn't really have any uh, particular vision or goals. It was just, I don't even, I never even liked the name. I still don't. Um, so it's just, my colleague come up with it um and we just ran with it and we left it um and uh it was just I, I, I you know again it was just sort of something that happened you know piece by piece it wasn't executing one single idea of this is what we want to do uh and it just gave momentum so at yep. any no point any p- moment or any particular vision it was just something let's have fun with this
1: yeah no absolutely I was just looking at it on Twitter here you can find it at Beyond the Pitch previously NBC Sports mm-hmm. and Sirius XMFC, now broadcasting yes. worldwide hosted by Phil and Callum CFB as well as other guest hosts now obviously I've had a lot of uh, great discussions and relationships with uh, Callum McFadden what's Callum like to work with
0: but a lot, just one of the classiest young men you could ever hope to meet, just a class human being, um, I love him to death, very intelligent, uh, wonderfully calibrated moral compass, just a great guy, and someone who's extremely talented, uh, tenacious, lovely human being, someone just if you work with, you can lay down your life, because you can trust him with your life, he's a great guy, and to me, it's just been an absolute privilege working with him, mate. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, I, I,
1: I, I met him uh, on virtually a, a year ago um, and it's absolutely fantastic to hear his knowledge of football not just oh, about Manchester first. United or a range of other things but just his love of football I mean, I record the SPFL 42 show with him about Scottish football and a range of other things I write for him on Football CFB on the Northern Irish League and he's just a really
0: this positive guy to work with Brilliant human being I, I would do anything for him, he'd do anything for me and... Uh, I just have uh, you know infinite respect for him. He's just a lovely human being.
1: You've mentioned already on this chat, Phil, some of the great characters you've interviewed for Beyond the Pitch and other outlets. Do you have a personal favourite?
0: I have a particular favourite, mate, because (laughs) um, every time I think of one, I think of someone else. (laughs) But I've been very fortunate to interview people that I never in a million years imagined I would get the interview um at the very top of the game, you know, I've interviewed World Cup winners, Lothar Matthias, you know, Roy Keenan, right? And, and I've just I've had tons of them even in the boxing set, George Foreman and you know, I've just been so lucky to interview people at the very top end of this business. You know, Real Ferdinand, um just oh, brilliant. You know, just met you know, honestly just goes on and on and on. I've just, um, you know, I've I've been so fortunate to interview people that are massive names in the sport, and um, yeah, I I can't pick out a particular favourite, but I must say, when I did Roy Keane, it was interesting. I was given 15 minutes with him, and about five minutes into the interview, I realised my recorder hadn't... Just hadn't worked yet. So it took me a couple of minutes to get the courage up. That's where he started again. And I thought he'd bite my head off. He actually ended up giving me over half an hour. We did the interview with his first class. So honestly, mate, there's been many of them. Um But uh I just consider myself so unbelievably fortunate. To, you know, as a boxing fan, Mike Tyson was a big one for me. So um one of the weirdest things in, in my life, I have to say, was actually being recognized by Mike Tyson. Wow. Uh, I'd I'd spent the day with him before, and then came down and saw him a couple weeks later, and there was a press conference going on, and he was there, and he saw me and come over and noticed me, and mentioned my name, started talking to me. I'm like, did Mike Tyson just know me on first name terms and recognize me? That was a bit strange. It was amazing, though. Um, And, uh, again, just opportunities I never in a million years imagined that would come my way, mate, so it's just... For instance, a football podcast, which was a creative hobby outlet, like has just been such a godsend to me, you know.
1: I I can see you interviewing in the future guys like Cristiano Ronaldo or David ah. Beckham. You know, I think that would be fantastic.
0: Why no, not, we'll see, man?
1: Why not? I think it's. I think you know your own oh. show has got so much potential. You mentioned some of these big names out there. You're clearly well respected over there in Thank the you. states, but across the world. And I mean, I've listened to a couple of your interviews, and I I think it's very professionally done. You know, there's clear um, organization, there's clear preparation involved. It certainly influenced myself as a podcaster, because I I love talking to to a range of people across British football and 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 a range of other aspects. But I'm always looking at ways to develop, and just listening to other people like yourself and Callum and a range of other people, it does make a big
0: difference. Honestly, man, it's amazing to know that it's positively impacting people. Uh, Whatever that results in their life, whether it's a podcast, whether it's just happiness, whatever it is, it just is amazing because um, my heart breaks for people that are are struggling, that are suffering, and I wish I could talk to every one of them. Um, And the best way I can do that is through my podcast. And if it reaches people and puts them in a happy place, then that to me it's worth more than any you know, financial remuneration. It's just, it, it's amazing.
1: One last thing about podcasting. We mentioned already Keane uh, Franey's uh, weekly armchair podcast and you've been a guest on that show. What have you yeah. make of Keen and his own progress? Cause he's another very talented young fella.
0: You know, he's a very talented kid. Lovely, you're a lovely, lovely young lad. Uh, someone that means a lot to me personally. I want to see him be successful. I like him a lot as, as a young kid um <clears throat> has tremendous talent I like his personality I like his values um, and, and you know I, I, this is not an easy game you know because <clears throat> loads of people uh, there's positivity there's negativity you put yourself out there you're going to get both I remember how I was when I first started and negativity would come my way I would want to fight with everyone um, eventually you learn to ignore it but it can be hard uh, and so He's a young kid that uh, I've a lot of emotionally invested in, and I want to see him be successful. I have no doubt he will be successful. Yeah. And uh, I, I love seeing good things happen to good people like him.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm exactly the same, so I just want to reiterate that as well. I think that's yes, absolutely man. fantastic. Penultimate question for you, Phil, because we're coming towards the end of the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. What's yes, the asp- man, thank you. What's the aspirations long term for Beyond the Pitch and you
0: as a podcaster? Just continue to enjoy it? Yes, mate. That's it, really. You know, it's just a creative outlet for me, and and as long as I've maintained that philosophy, it served me well. Because when I when BTPs had opportunities to become commercially successful or break into big opportunities, it's always resulted in the opposite. I mean, one of my biggest regrets was sending me NBC. Um, people think that um, this is something to aspire to to get partnerships with big broadcasters. It can be, but oftentimes isn't. And so, um, you know, I think for me, it's just continuing to be something that serves a couple of purposes, that makes me happy, that gives me a creative outlet, that allows me to interview players that I never in a million years imagined I would interview. Um, It's opened doors for me I never imagined it would open. Um, But more importantly, that it makes people happy that listen to it. That's the most important thing for me, Matt, because... I get a lot of messages about mental health uh, privately, and I'm always blown away by the messages that I get. And it means a lot to me when people reach out to me and tell me that such and such a podcast has
1: really helped them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Remember, you can follow Beyond the Pitch at Beyond the Pitch on Twitter, and you can also follow, follow Phil at Malachians on Twitter as well. A really uh, interesting guy to, to follow. Phil, I thoroughly enjoyed our chat. Last question for you, and it's a prediction yeah, special yeah. because I always have yeah. a prediction special at some of my shows. Give us a long term prediction for Manchester United
0: hard one to do because um, I think a lot depends on whether we get meaningful financial fair play regulations within English football and it seems a bit great to be talking about that considering Netter have had a financial advantage for so long and been able to buy you
2: know,
0: essentially, have a massive advantage over the competitors uh, and now you all of a sudden net are no longer the team of the ascendancy people like us want restrictions um, but uh, if that doesn't come into place Where City can continue to do what they want Whenever they want when they, and, and that looks to be the case for the foreseeable future Given how impotent FFP actually is mm. I think we could see a situation Where United, you know, Liverpool and all these other clubs Are essentially fighting for second place For yeah. a long time to come mm-hmm. um, You might get the odd Liverpool situation Like you saw last season but what United and Liverpool and everyone else is facing is totally unprecedented. Yeah, You know, there's never been a time in English football where clubs have had to face, essentially, a state-owned football club with unlimited spending power and um, that uh, aren't bound by the same variables that other football clubs are, like young kids playing, making mistakes, and all that. They don't have to experience any of this. So um, I think... It's hard to predict because this is such a new territory, for you need it. But um, I, I, I really don't know, man. It's it. It's, I never, I couldn't have If, if you'd asked me in two thousand thirteen to predict the next eight years, I never would have predicted this. Yeah, not yeah, um, doing anybody would have. <laughs> to yeah, be honest with you, especially yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, But w- we could sit be talking in eight years' time about exactly the same things that we're talking about right now because, um, you know, I I, I still. I, 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 United are still significantly behind City as, as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: well, It's certainly going to be interesting to see how United follow uh, long and short term. It's been really interesting to, to see their progress. And it's been really interesting uh, to chat with you Phil. Thanks for coming on Campbell's Fools to share your story. I want to wish you all the best and your family well. And thank you so the much Meg. Same to yourself
0: and thank you so much for having me on.
1: Cheers. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs.
2: What a night!